Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 156. Jeremy Ballantyne and Johnny Brown. In Pursuit 365, Deer Hunting the Northeast, Vermont, New Hampshire, and the Midwest. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Today's show is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. I'm Fred Eichler, and you're listening to my favorite podcast on iTunes, Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Hi, this is Shane Mahoney from Conservation Visions Incorporated, and I'm listening now to one of my favorite hunting podcasts, Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Hey guys, this is Kelvin Wilcox here at Valpo Products, a favorite deer hunting podcast with Jay and Dusty. Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. My name is Jay, and you know what? I can't thank you enough for joining us once again, as you do each and every single week right here on on the podcast you know i sit here in the studio and i think about all the diehard deer hunting fans that are probably listening to this show and you know and certainly the downloads reflect that but it's it's humbling and you know i i we work hard to make sure that we bring you good content each and every week we try to find interesting stories and good people and and diehard deer hunting fans who have the skill sets that we like to dissect and you know, find out what these world-class deer hunters are doing so that you can use it too. So thank you for joining us and pushing play and giving me your ear for one hour. One of the other big-time diehard deer hunting fans that we have access to each and every week, and, you know, this is this is actually a very special thing, is Dusty Phillips from Ohio, and he's sitting right here in the studio with us as we're recording this show. Dusty, what's going on? Oh, it's a great day to be alive, Jay. It's uh, one day closer to whitetail season here in Ohio, and yeah, it's something that I look forward to every year. You? Uh, that's true, and you know it's July and it's hot, and you know we're getting some of those those really yucky days that you get sometimes in September. You know, early season deer season. Sometimes that you get those warm snaps that come in. And what's interesting about it is that you, when deer season ends, the last thing that you would associate with deer hunting is the, the heat and the humidity of the summer. But in fact, it's a good indicator that, and it's right around the corner because September is only two months away. Right on, for sure. I did see a really nice buck out feeding in some soybeans here in Ohio. I think it was yesterday, as a matter of fact. And uh, boy, they're starting to get some really nice antler growth and seeing progress. And it's just a matter of time. Yeah, it's the the cameras are showing some nice progress on some of these uh, deer that are coming in from across the country. It's fantastic. So it's got to get you a little pumped up right now to think that deer season is right there around the corner. And just awesome, man. Just awesome. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I know a lot of people that are just like us that are listening and they're ready for it. Mm-hmm. I've missed it since the day it went out last year. Right, right. And we filled filled the gap with some, some turkey season there. And, of course, you came up to the turkey hunt with us, and you had come up prior to do some deer hunting, and we went down to do some deer hunting with you. And I, we've talked about this a little bit. What What was your opinion 
about the deer hunting in New Hampshire. Now, be honest. <laughs> There's deer hunting in New Hampshire? <laughs> well, there is hunting, absolutely. Oh. We hunt the deer. But uh, your experience, I mean, you were only here for a, a few days, but what was your experience while, while you were here? Uh, the, the deer have so so much territory to, to hide in. That That's probably what uh, made it really tough to, to get a visual on any deer, period. I, I didn't lay an eye on a deer while I was there for, for deer rifle, and you know, it kind of shocked me, really. Uh, here in Ohio, we can usually get on a deer within the first 24 hours, but there, it's a whole different program. New Hampshire is a different monster as far as whitetail hunting. Um, it's just, there's so much woods there, Jay, that they have the opportunity to get away from you. Uh, and they do. They they get up on the mountains and they're gone, you know, unless unless you're just a, a full-blown hiker that can just go all day long and nonstop all day and, and just pray that you bump into one. Yep. What, what was your opinion about the, the terrain? Oh, it's the flattest, smoothest, most easiest walking stuff I've ever been on. <laughs> <laughs> of course. It's probably... <laughs> It's probably in the top three worst whitetail hunts I've ever been on as far as physically challenging. Okay. Um, you know, I'm, I'm by far no skinny feller, but I'm I'm by far not completely out of shape, though. And, uh, you know, it was tough. No right. doubt about it. I mean, you guys you guys walk the, mile, the miles, you know. And I, I kind of laid back for the drives because, you know, not, not for being lazy, but for navigational skills. And I, I definitely don't need to be lost in New Hampshire woods. Right. That's a fact. Right. Uh, when you're... 40 miles away from the nearest town and up 10 miles up a mountainside, it's not quite worth the, the being lost factor. Right. I agree. And that, that, that could be the, the difference between life and death in some scenarios. And, and that was one of the things that, that I think we recognize is that it, it wasn't so much, not that you were out of shape, but you weren't really expecting the, the hilly terrain. And today you could definitely handle that because you, you, you know what to expect. It was more of a mental thing, I think, overall. Yeah, I think I think it really was. Now, turkey season, I got more comfortable while I was yeah. there. You know, I, I knew what it was and uh, didn't, you know, I, I think I, I'd come back out and do a lot better next trip to New Hampshire in the woods just because of the fact that you know, it was all brand new to me. And it's just yeah. like, wow, this is a lot of timber, you know. The, the navigation thing on the big mountains, the big intimidating mountains, especially if you've never had to navigate that way, is will we'll play with your head constantly like oh man if i go up there i may never come back yeah Um, it did you know and and the fact that you know no cell service for one right um you know and gps works sometimes there yep if you get to get enough clear because there's even on the mountains there's plenty of trees to cover over your signal right so you you get here in ohio and you pull up a, a navigational gps handheld unit and you're pulling like seven eight satellites you get to new hampshire and you're lucky to pull one right yeah, just a whole different uh, ball game there. You know, it, you, you're used to Ohio flat, small woods. Uh, you get down south, there's some bigger timber, but there's not really that scare factor of not being able to find your way out. Exactly. Yeah, and and the the two guys that we are having on the show today, by request, we've had quite a few requests to cover a little bit more of the northeast style hunting. Something I'm familiar with. You're familiar with it now, and and you're right. If you know, having a cell phone with all their GPS technology is fantastic until you don't have cell coverage. And, you know, it might give you your location as far as your, your coordinates. But if you have no reference point on a map, then you can't really figure that out. You can, it'll have a compass. You can figure which direction to go, which is super important. But if, what if that shuts down, you know, the little pin on compasses that you can put on your shirt 
are lifesavers, and you wouldn't think that such a uh, you know a twenty five cent device is so important, but it actually has gotten me out of some situations where I had no cell phone. Um, I had a backup compass, and my GPS wouldn't get any signal because I was in too much cover. That that alone, just getting you in the right direction, always being familiar with your territory, are two things that Jeremy Ballantyne and Johnny Brown from In Pursuit three sixty five have grown up on because they grew up in Vermont and New Hampshire as well, and you saw. Lots of the mountains of Vermont as you traveled into New Hampshire, which is one of the, some of the most beautiful country in the world. No doubt about it. And these guys have been together for a while now, videotaping all their hunts. And they've actually progressed out to the Midwest where you are. And they've gone up into the, the Big West, out West, into the big mountains out there. And that's where they, I think, prefer to hunt. But we're, we're kind of bringing them back home and we're getting their perspective on hunting the Northeast this this week. Be, but before we turn to Jeremy Ballantyne and Johnny Brown from In Pursuit 365, let's turn to Jim Keller with the Deer News. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. In our first story, Penn State Department of Ecosystem Science and Management's Deer Forest Study. Researchers from Penn State, U.S. Geological Survey, Pennsylvania Game Commission, and Pennsylvania DCNR Bureau of Forestry will be monitoring deer populations and forest changes in the Rothrock, Bald Eagle, and Susquehannock State Forests in Pennsylvania. By carefully monitoring deer populations and diversity and growth rates of forests in these areas, this study will lead to a better understanding of the complex relationship between the state's deer herd and their forests. Deer are an important part of Pennsylvania's forests. However, too many deer can change forests in ways we do not like. For example, by eating too many seedlings of some tree species. But deer are not the only issue. Forest managers have to deal with problems such as invasive plants, insect outbreaks, soil acidity, and tree diseases. Four study areas ranging in size from 25 to 40 square miles have been selected. One pair of study areas is in the center of the state in the Rothrock and Bald Eagle State Forests and one pair is in the north in the Susquehannocks State Forest. Deer in these study areas will be managed differently with the help of hunters. Forest conditions will be monitored to see how they respond to real-world deer and forest management activities. During the study, researchers from Penn State, the U.S. Geological Survey, the Pennsylvania Game Commission, and the Pennsylvania DCNR Bureau of Forestry will carefully monitor deer populations and changes in the species mix and growth rates of plants in the study areas. There are four goals and objectives for this study to address the information needs and research questions of each collaborator. They are, one, test the assumption that categorical deer impact levels accurately reflect the effect of deer browsing on forest conditions and identify modifications that could improve the accuracy of monitoring programs of forest conditions in relation to deer browsing. Two, evaluate the effectiveness of the methodology used to increase antlerless harvests in a local area. Three, monitor hunter behavior and attitudes in response to changes in deer abundance. And four, test the ability of DCNR's vegetation impact protocol to detect changes in vegetation in response to changes in deer abundance. If you hunt deer in any of the areas where the study is being performed, the team would like to hear about your deer hunting experiences. For more information about this study, including how to register to receive the hunter questionnaire, please visit ecosystems.psu.edu forward slash research forward slash projects, forward slash deer. We'll include this website in our show notes. Texas says 13 new cases of deer wasting disease found. This article was originally written by Tim Easton of the Austin American Statesman. 
13 new cases of chronic wasting disease were discovered in white-tailed deer in a South Texas breeding facility, Texas Parks and Wildlife officials said Friday. The new instances of the neurological condition brings the total to 25 cases since the disease was found in a deer at a Medina County breeding operation last year. The new cases, which were found Wednesday at a different Medina County facility, represent the highest rate of chronic wasting disease found at any Texas breeding operation. The state agency didn't specify which of the many breeding operations had the new cases. Of 33 recent samples tested, 13 came back positive for chronic wasting disease. The Texas Animal Health Commission and the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department will work with the owner of the facility where the new cases were found to come up with a plan to gauge the extent of the disease within the breeding operation. As we mentioned in our previous podcast, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission adopted new rules to combat chronic wasting disease. The new regulations could put a strain on many of the state's 1,300 deer breeding businesses. With the commission's unanimous vote Monday, deer breeders will have to comply with increased regulation. There will be limited movement of breeder deer across the state, increased post-mortem testing for chronic wasting disease, and more live testing for the disease as well. Pursuit Channel HD signs carriage agreements with Verizon and CenturyLink. This article was originally reported by DeerAndDeerHunting.com. The quest by Pursuit Channel to become America's most important provider of independently produced outdoor programming took another giant step forward in 2016 when Fios by Verizon and Prism TV by CenturyLink signed separate carriage agreements to make Pursuit Channel in full high-definition available to all their respective subscribers in the United States. The on-air rollout of Pursuit Channel HD to millions of customers who enjoy Fios by Verizon's state-of-the-art all-fiber cable television internet service was completed July 1, 2016. Pursuit HD and Prism by CenturyLink begins later this summer. Pursuit Channel is available in over 40 million U.S. television households. Pursuit is the only audited outdoor television network viewable to all DirecTV and Dish Network subscribers and now has availability to all Fios by Verizon subscribers. Prominent series premieres and all new episodes of long-running television brands featured on the Pursuit for 2016 include Remington Country, Wallhanger TV, Ducks Unlimited TV, NWTF365, Gamekeepers of Mossy Oak, and Canadian Whitetail TV, just to name a few. Another Michigan county has been added to the CWD management zone. This article was originally reported by Nicholas Grenke of the Ionia Sentinel Standard Newspaper. Ionia County, Michigan was placed on the Deer Chronic Wasting Disease Management Zone Tuesday by the Michigan Department of Natural Resources. However, no deer found in Ionia County have tested positive for the disease. The reason for the expanded management zone is because three of the diseased deer were found in South Clinton County, which neighbors Ionia County. With a detection of CWD-positive deer in the southern part of Clinton County, we need to better understand the magnitude of the disease in those areas, said Chad Stewart, a Michigan DNR deer specialist. Expanding our surveillance to include these areas is key to this point, when we need help from landowners and hunters within the expanded zone to help us with this effort. Ionia County hunters will not be required to bring their deer to a DNR check station, but they are highly encouraged to. All roadkill deers a person wishes to salvage now need to be tested at a DNR check station. Due to being added to the management zone, it is now illegal for hunters to bait deer with apples, salt lick, or by other ways. To combat the disease, the DNR will also be lowering the cost of antlerless deer licenses from $20 to $12 and will have an additional antlerless deer hunt season September 17th and 18th at the same time as the Michigan Youth Hunt. The disease heavily impacts the deer population. According to the Michigan DNR CWD Contingency Plan, since the disease was first discovered near Boulder, Colorado in the late 1980s, the local deer population has declined 45%. 
However, when the disease was discovered in New York in 2005, it was contained and did not spread, according to the same plan. To find DNR check stations this hunting season, visit www.michigan.gov. The DNR recommends that if anyone notices a deer looking sickly, thin, or behaving strangely, to call the DNR Wildlife Disease Lab at 517-336-5030 or fill out and submit an online observation report at www.michigan.gov forward slash DNR. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Deer News. If you have any ideas for future topics or have questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Thanks to Jim Keller for the Deer News. Without further ado, here is Jeremy Ballantyne and Johnny Brown. Jeremy Ballantyne and Johnny Brown, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Cheers, guys. What's going on? Not much. Thanks for having us. We're psyched. I'm psyched, man. This is great. Now, to set the stage, and this is all audio, so you can't really visualize this unless I paint the picture. This is the, one of the first outdoor podcasts, first outdoor podcast recordings we've ever done. Hey, let's get outside and talk some deer hunting in my screen house, where we are surrounded by all my license plates from, and a couple of license plates from Ohio, some, some deer I've killed that are now in the European skull mount, all my license plates from New Hampshire. Tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, Jeremy. Where are you from? Well, I uh, born and raised in uh, southern Vermont. Right near uh, Mount Snow, Stratton, Ski Area, yep. that area, Wyndham County, Vermont. Uh, grew up in a hunting family. Uh, I kind of got bit by the bug a little bit harder than anybody else in the family, Interesting. so to speak. Okay. Uh, really into bow hunting. Right from probably in my early teens all the way through, I, I pretty much fell in love with bow hunting. And uh, if I had a gun in my hands, it was when I was tracking deer in the snow. Uh, but uh, started going to Colorado. Uh, in my 20s all through my 20s i'd spend the entire september elk hunting in colorado bow hunting and that really is what you know got the fire going if you will you know okay and uh and running a video camera ever since i've been 14 you know trying to get the hunts on video and really started out with turkeys and how old are you now i'm 36 you're 30 okay so that's that's a decent amount of time and back in time yeah to start running a video camera yeah especially at 14 i mean i don't know about you, Johnny, but I wasn't really all that into videography when I was 14. No, nope, no, nope. right? <laughs> not at all. So what what got you into doing videography in the first place, much less hunting your or shooting your hunts? Really just watching, uh, I guess my earliest inspiration for, for videoing my hunts would probably have to be like the early Primo's hunting videos. Right. Like I'd watch Primo's, all the, the Truth series, the first ones, you know, and I was just like, man, that's... That's really cool to have everything on video, and you get to relive the hunt. And, and then once I started videoing, I started realizing the challenge that was involved in, in trying to capture it on film. Yeah. You, had to, you had to go about your entire hunt with a totally different mindset. Like, if you were trying to video a deer hunt, you know, yeah, you could kill him out of that tree right there, but you're not going to get any video footage because the deer's all of a sudden just going to be there. And same with turkeys. You know, you could, you could kill a good woods bird. You know, but you're not going to get very much footage of them at all. You got to kind of. Right. It's just a totally different mindset of hunting, and I, I appreciated the challenge because I had such a passion for bow hunting. Mm-hmm. I would handicap myself and bow hunt even when it was gun season a lot. So uh, it kind of went hand in hand with with bow hunting and and videoing. That's interesting. Like, now I'm 45, and it, the older I get, the more I want to bow hunt. Just bow hunt. Yep. And I, I always feel like 
the more I learn about the, the species I'm trying to kill, the closer I'm able to get. Absolutely. And at this point, I'm like, why do I even carry a gun? Other than maybe, you know, when I'm on, I find a buck or, or whatever game I'm looking at, and it's thick. I mean, it's real thick. Arrow's just going to go flying off. Other than that, I like getting close. And to this day, and every year, year in, year out, all I, I, the more I want to carry my bow. Yeah, absolutely. But you were doing this at 14. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, there's something about the flight of the arrow, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that, that rush, like, you know, when a good buck's coming by or a bull elk or a turkey strutting up or whatever, the the rush you feel when you get, you know, to full draw and you, you got away with it and, and then you pull it off, you yeah. know, and you, you pulled it off with archery equipment. It's just, uh, it's just a lot more satisfying. It really is. To me. Yeah. How long did you have to work at it to perfect your bow hunting skills? It's always a learning process. <laughs> it never ends, you know. It's uh, even now. Yeah, even right. now, we you you learn something every single year that you're hunting. You know, it's, yeah. if if you're not learning something, you're not hunting hard enough. You know, you're just doing the same thing over and over again. You gotta you gotta constantly push yourself and try different things, and it's uh it's constantly a learning process, and and you gotta learn to accept failure, you right. know, and and know that it's all part of the process. You know, you're you're gonna you're gonna miss opportunities hunting with a bow that you normally would have harvested that animal with a gun you know yeah how how do you handle the missed shot or the you know there's always going to be a, a bad shot of some yep. sort it could be a, a miss completely how do you mentally get over that you just got to be able to uh you know if it didn't bother you you wouldn't be a human with a conscience you know right. it's, if you if you wound an animal or you miss one you know you work how hard you had to work for that opportunity but uh you know you just got to let it go and know that know that you hunt hard and you you're you're determined you know you're gonna get another opportunity right you know, one of the things and this is just human nature is that you work hard to get the shot and then you miss the shot or you, you don't take the, the best shot that you were hoping for or you hit a, a tree branch that you didn't see or whatever it was that's kind of hard to overcome and you, and as uh, I think as a an older hunter, you you know that that's just part of the game. Yeah, as as the years go by, you just you just know that's part of the game, and that yep. you know that when you're successful, it just makes success all that much sweeter. Yeah, gotcha, Johnny. Let's, let's turn to you. Where sure. you, Where are you from? Yeah, I'm uh, originally I'm born and raised Southern New Hampshire. <clears throat> I grew up in the Nashville area. Spent some time, you know abroad in my college years and then down spent a little bit of time down in eastern connecticut with work but my home is new hampshire so i'm back as of the last four years i'm back here permanently gotcha and growing up how was hunting introduced into your life you know to be honest with you it really wasn't Uh, i spent a lot of time fishing with my father growing up Uh, he grew up in a household where my grandfather did hunt but my father just really wasn't something that you know he was active doing um my parents were always 100 percent supportive of anything i wanted to do you know within reason and they always encouraged me to you know pick things up and mm-hmm. challenge myself and you know get involved with stuff and we had some very good family friends of ours who was actually an avid waterfowl hunter okay um you know call the guy uncle dave so you know he would take me out from i gosh i gotta say it was early middle school we would be out every Saturday during the waterfowl season uh, between you know him and uh, other family members that we would go out with. We would absolutely clean house, waterfowl hunting. And 
it was one of those things. I did have an uncle that lived down south in Georgia, and I'd go down there once a year and visit him and rifle hunt for deer and wild pigs. And it, it just was one of these things that stayed in my system. You know, I was very similar to Jeremy as a kid, you know, on the weekends watching hunting on TV and, you know, seeing these guys bow hunting. And it just was always in the back of my mind that, you know, I started off as a gun hunter. But I think given the background that I have from my mother and father of always challenging myself, I always knew bow hunting was going to be a a huge challenge. And it was just always one of those things where I got to get to that. The season's that much longer. It's more times in the woods. You're not going to be able to harvest that animal, you know, as I don't want to say easy because I don't want to take away, you know, people who are rifle hunting, but I don't, I think it's more of a challenge to bow hunt. And it's just always been something that I think more, and I think Jeremy might agree with this over the last few years, since he and I, he and I have spent so much time together hunting. I really think that I could, you know, label myself as really primarily just a bow hunter. It's something that it's always a challenge, very similar to what you said. You always want to get closer, you know, and once you learn game and you're learning more, I think that if you're spending time in the woods and you're not learning on a daily basis, you're not doing it right. And I just think that, you know, really, I mean, I'm kind of rambling on, so I apologize about that. I, going from where I started off as a bow hunter, I mean, as a, as a hunter, um, to kind of where I'm at now, there was really no background uh, whatsoever. And I've really progressively, as time, you know, time gotcha. went on, kind so of picked things up. You found a mentor through the uh, Dave. Right. Right. Uncle, yep. Uncle Dave. Is yeah, he's not. He's actually he's my mother and father's really good friend from okay. college. And, you know, it, it just was one of these people we just called Uncle Dave, you right. know, growing so, up. So Uncle Dave kind of got you started. Yep. Kind absolutely. of planted that seed. And you, you, you progressed from there. You self-teaching yourself uh, about bow and uh, archery and hunting, bow hunting itself. Everything I did, archery hunting, I learned on my own. Learned on your own. And, gotcha. you know, kind of was something you had asked about Jeremy, you know, I'm always learning. I mean, I, I'm constantly picking up the phone and calling Jeremy, hey, I'm thinking about this with my setup. What yeah. do you think? Yeah. Or I'm talking to friends or I'm doing trial and error. So I, I can honestly say I'm, I'm constantly learning when gotcha. it comes to archery. Okay. How'd you guys meet? Uh, we had a mutual friend uh, that actually was, he was doing some filming yeah. with me to start with. It, through a mutual friend, uh, buddy of ours, Armand, and uh, he was kind of a friend of a friend and I knew Armand liked to video and yeah. and that's... Uh, and he was really good friends with Johnny, so that's how gotcha. that's how we kind of all yep. met up. And gotcha. So you figured you'd f- you, you both had skill sets or similar similar interest, passion about the, the outdoors, hunting, and you started this group or let's well, I guess it's a film company at this point, right? Yeah, Jeremy yeah. actually started it Jeremy. several years ago. Yep, gotcha. So Jeremy, you started in Pursuit three sixty five, and I want to get into that a little bit more in a in a little bit. But so you started this back when back when uh, you were fourteen. No, that was. In Pursuit really took on the name in the early 2000s when I uh, when I start when I produced a DVD with uh, Tom Blaze through Great Northern Productions. Sure, yeah, uh, turkey hunting DVD. That gotcha. was kind of like uh, I don't remember the exact date. I should, but uh, I don't exactly remember the the date. But uh, that was the beginning. That was that was when I okay. kind of did the name. Other than that, I was just videoing for fun. And gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. So. You guys have both hunted the Northeast, and we've been getting a lot of questions lately about hunting the Northeast. People have started hunting recently, and they're from the Northeast. They want to know more about hunting the Northeast because they haven't traveled outside, and it might be a while before they get there. So their primary hunting grounds, Northeast territories, could be uh, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine. So I wanted to touch on some of your experiences in the Northeast and then compare and contrast that to what it's like to hunt other parts of the country because you guys have been all over the country hunting. 
Correct. So if there's anybody that can answer that question, it's you guys. Yep. So let, let's start about the, the Northeast. What does the Northeast mean to you when it comes to hunting? I think it's uh, I, I think the word challenge is the right word to use. Um, you know, in talking to a lot of people, we're, we're hunting across the board, you know, across the country, we'll have people to say, where are you guys from? We'll say New Hampshire. And it, you kind of get that look on their face. I mean, these are people we're talking to that are also hunting as well. And, right. and they get that look like, what do you guys have up there to hunt? It's it's kind of, it's really not well known for being the destination place or the go-to place to hunt. So I, I guess I would use the word, you know, challenging right. as a word to describe, you know, hunting yeah. in the Northeast. I don't get anybody that wants to come to New Hampshire to deer hunt. Right, right. Unless you're from Massachusetts. Or, Ver- or Vermont. <laughs> right. Or there Vermont. is a there is a, a serious plus side to growing up in the Northeast, I think. It, mm-hmm. uh, it definitely made me a better hunter. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. having to deal with hunting pressure of all, all sorts, I mean, everything that you can imagine. All sorts of hunting pressure, uh, dealing with animals that are heavily hunted, uh, low deer densities. Uh, all the challenges yep. you know in vermont we we face our own challenges with the way their seasons are timed and and all the all the all the different obstacles that you every state presents its own different set of obstacles but i think in the northeast they definitely present the hardest right. set of obstacles one of the things that i i noticed and it wasn't really spelled out to me until the last couple of years when dusty had come up from ohio and i hadn't hunted ohio yet and he came up to, to deer hunt and he says um Wow, this is a uh, this is kind of mountainous up here, and it is. And but as you grow up in it, you realize, and you know, you don't realize that your navigational skills are top notch. Absolutely, right? Absolutely. right. So I can, and, and for fun, I'll hunt with you know, as you hunt with your friends in New Hampshire. Sometimes you just want to go. You got you got a, a light snow, and you want to catch a track. But it's it's not anywhere where you can take a vehicle or four wheeler. You're not going to try to cut a track and then follow it like the Benoits might. But you'll you'll be on the top of one peak and you look at a peak two miles out. I said you go that way, you go that way, and I'll go down the middle and I'll meet you on that peak for lunch at noon. And you go to Dusty. That would freak him out. Yeah, he wouldn't. He <laughs> wouldn't be at that peak for you're, lunch. No, he would not. <laughs> right. Yeah. So your navigational skills automatically. When you're from Vermont or New Hampshire, are pretty darn good. Yeah, your sense of direction is is I would agree with you 100. percent I mean, Jeremy and I have both been out to Idaho. You know, you do bring a GPS with you. You put it on. You mark where your drop camp is, and then you go. But I mean, we I can say we probably probably both can attest that how often do you actually go and check your GPS when you need to go back? Your your sense of direction is right. pretty spot on. I would right. agree with you 100. percent Yeah, it's kind of and, it, and it's something that you don't realize until you start going to other parts of the country and talking to people. And having people come up here and say, "Whoa, what is that all about?" Yeah, yeah there's Absolutely. no, there's no big fields. It's like right. you know, it's not flat. They get a little claustrophobic, you know? right? <laughs> right. So, I think that's one of the big things that you kind of notice. The other thing is you get snow up here um, that is, and you're not going to because of some of the land use laws, especially in in the Northeast, is that you have access to lots of land, and you get to to roam as much as you want unless it's posted. Correct. And not that you shouldn't get landowner permission otherwise, but the, the laws are written in a certain way, and it's kind of an accepted tradition in New Hampshire, and I think it's in the same in Vermont. I'm not positive. Yeah, yeah. If that land isn't posted, we, you know, people hunt it. Public land, yep. right? That's And it's not designated public land. It just is right. because it's not stated otherwise by the landowner. So how is how is that particular aspect different hunting out in Idaho or some of the other states you've hunted in? 
I, I mean, I'd say in Idaho, we're hunting, what, 600,000 acres? You know what I mean? It's, yeah, that's it's national. Pub, it's national forest. So for us, where we're going, I mean, there are spots that we'll hunt out there that, you know, we have a friend that lives out there that, you know, if he has permission for us to go there, then that's his permission. We're there on his behalf. Right. But when you're out in Idaho, it's kind of, you know, uncharted territory. If, if it's national forest, have at it. Um, I don't kind know. of see it more... The more where it takes an influence is the Midwest. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all those private okay. private farms. You know, right. we uh, I hunted Ohio for quite a few years. Even solo would go out there and knock on doors in the summertime, and uh, you know, get my way onto a piece of property by giving them maple syrup and cheddar cheese. You know, nice. in, a, in a handshake, right. which and, is a great thing to bring from Vermont. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And uh, and you do not see people trespass out there. During the bow season out there in the Midwest, even if you if it's just knock on doors property, people respect property lines. If there's a fence, you do not cross it. That's, that's right. That's you, a property line. Even if there's not. I mean, Jeremy and I had yeah. a situation two years ago. We were in Ohio. I shot a buck, ran onto the neighboring property, and we did every we put every effort into contacting that landowner to get that deer back. And by the time we we could have easily gone onto his property, trespass, grabbed that deer. I mean, it was visible. There were posted signs there and you just don't do that. I mean, if it was our property and someone did that to us without permission, we'd be very upset. And I ended up full circle. We ended up contacting the landowner, ended up seeing the deer, and he wouldn't give us a deer. Hmm. So, you know, we're in in comparison, I think you're, you know, it's, it's spot on. Every state is different, every situation. And, right. you know, deer hunting as itself has become more of a, I would say, religion to most people that, you know, you're only as good as the ground you hunt on. And if you've got good ground in the Midwest, people don't want people on there. And if it's not That's posted, right. you better be asking permission to get on there. That's right. Yep. Yep. I'm sorry, if it is posted, regardless out there. It's what yeah, yeah. If it, you, you need permission, period. Mm-hmm. Um, of all the states you've hunted in, which, which are your favorites? Uh, well, f- as far as bow hunting goes, my favorite bow hunting animal is still an elk. Uh, okay. If I, if I had to choose one animal to hunt every fall and just that one animal, it would be a bull elk. That's it. Whether it be Colorado or right. you know, this fall we plan on going to Idaho. Uh, I've I've hunted elk and mule deer, uh, but there's something about uh, bugle and bull elk. I haven't yeah, done that tur- yet because I'm a turkey fanatic. Right. So I love I love well, any it. animal that I that's can it. call to, yeah. and it can call back to me. But elk hunting is. Elk hunting is definitely where my heart is. That's I haven't gone elk hunting yet, but to me, it's like deer hunting, but w- blend in the turkey aspects, and that's a mind blowing experience. It's, it's a six hundred. It's a six hundred pound turkey. It's. I it's mean, exactly. you're communicating with an animal. That's what you I know. I the think difference too. between deer hunting is, yeah, you get that adrenaline rush when you've been shooting right. that big buck, but you're lo- I mean, you're locating a bird and you're you're working them. You know, you're locating that that elk yep. on that opposite ridge and you're working them it's that same kind of thing yep. you guys can speak from experience i'm just living vicariously through you guys right now and Go. That's, that's a big reason why I, I guided moose hunters in the state of vermont for over 15 years yeah and the reason i did that was because that was as close to elk hunting as i could possibly get gotcha. in the state of vermont because yeah. I, I had a i had an animal that would call back to me and they leave the same kind of sign that elk do and they're they're huge and you know it's just it's a lot of fun to hunt a big bull moose it was as close as i could get to elk hunting so it was uh it was always a rush for me if i called in a big bull moose whether i shot it or not i was sometimes more excited than the the guy that did gotcha so you would say that where the elk are those are your favorite states absolutely okay yeah and that's mostly the out west anything in kentucky or anything like that where they they're starting like you know I've shot deer all over the country, and and whitetails are, 
you know, whitetails are great. It's what's whatever most people learn to hunt and everything. Yep. But the West is really where it's at. I really want to get back to hunting elk, yep. mule deer. Start start working on the twenty nine okay. North American big big game species. Gotcha. You know, I've, I've shot pretty decent sized bears and uh, bull moose. I shot with a bow in Vermont. So now I want to start working on different species. Gotcha. Okay. I want to go antelope hunting. I want to go into the Northwest Territories and hunt caribou. I want to you know go go all over. Right. You know, gotcha. Eventually hunt a sheep species of some sort. Probably Alaska is going to be the most one that's in my price range, you know. (laughs) Gotcha. uh, That's definitely down the road. Yeah. Johnny, what about you? What's your favorite state? I'd I'd have to agree with uh, an area where there's elk. I haven't been to Colorado to elk hunt. I did go out to Idaho. Um, I would have to say that's probably my most, probably my favorite spot to to be hunting in the country. Yeah. Okay. I've been fortunate to, you know, deer hunt multiple states as well, but I would say, you know, not to be redundant off of what Jeremy said, I, I couldn't agree with him more. You know, I, I had a guy that we were, I was having a conversation with one time and he said it best, you know, there's too many species out there to hunt more than once, you know? So I've been fortunate, been able to, to hunt deer, I've shot bear, moose, elk. I, there's something about elk that's yep. going to keep bringing me back, but uh, you know, I'd like to kill a mountain okay. lion and a few other species. Yeah. Mountain lion would be great. Yeah. I want to get into some of your tactics and strategies for hunting the Northeast in a little bit, but I want to go a little deeper on some of the subjects we talked about pre-chat. And what are some of the issues that you think are keeping hunters from coming to New Hampshire or to New England to hunt? And what what are some of the weird nuances, like you told me about in Vermont, that you think just aren't quite right? Well, in Vermont... Uh, th- there's many things in Vermont that, that I would like to see changed, mm-hmm. whether they ever would or not. It's basically, the, I think our biggest obstacle is the timing of our seasons. Yeah, uh, We have a big obstacle as far as bow hunters go in the state of Vermont with, if you had to pick the three hardest weeks out of the year to try to find a mature buck moving on his feet during daylight under natural movement, it would be Vermont bow season. Right. They like timed that perfect. Uh you know, there there's no season going on those last couple weeks of October and the first week of November. Right. So there's you, no deer season. There are three weeks, three yeah. weeks that there is no deer season in New, in Vermont. Yeah. Period. All the pre rut we're sitting out. That's so just, I'm in a different state. That's weird that to me. Do, do you do you agree with that? I think that's bizarre. Isn't I that think strange? That's absolutely bizarre. Yeah, absolutely. And how long has this been going on? Have you done any like that's that's been that's ever forever. since? I, yeah, that's why all of my if you look at all my big deer that I've shot in the state of Vermont, they've all been post rut muzzleloader season with snow on the ground, tracking them right. Be- Benoit style, if you will. Right, that's just weird. Yeah, I don't know. What other issues do you see in New Hampshire? I think there's a combination of things that are going on here uh, for challenges that I see. A little bit different than what Jeremy sees, you know, given that our season length is is, but in Slightly similar to what he has, I think we the one of the biggest obstacles we have that doesn't that people don't come here is is we have a gun season that falls right in the middle of the rut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you look at some of the neighboring states, well, I wouldn't compare ourselves to uh, Vermont, but our gun season starts usually around the first of November, October thirty first time frame, and runs all the way through the month of November. So, you know, you're sh- you're shooting a lot of deer in that time frame. I would say, based off of what I would think. A majority of your hunters are gun hunters here in the state of New Hampshire. Um, I think another big challenge that we have is, is and uh, this is just opinion-based, I have a lot of respect for the New Hampshire Fishing Game Department and the biologists there, but I think we give out way too many tags. Um, that doesn't necessarily fall into play in other units within the state, but down where I live in southern New Hampshire, yep. you know, we were having this discussion earlier, you can shoot two does in Unit M. You can shoot 
two bucks with a bow in unit M. You can shoot one deer with a firearm tag. And now unit L, I, I could be wrong. I know it's at least one antlerless deer, but I believe you might be able to even shoot two antlerless deer. So being able to shoot seven deer in a state where you could go to the Midwest and you look at the quality of the deer that they have there, you can shoot one buck. If you decide to shoot a spike as he walks by opening day, you're done. Right. You are done. You're cashed in for the year. But here you can shoot two with a bow and one with a gun. Yep. So for me, I, I have a hard time understanding. And, and I guess the biggest obstacle that I challenge that I see is is we have some quality deer here in the state. I mean, between Jeremy and I and a few other you know, friends of ours that we know we're always communicating throughout the season, I mean, we're running 50-plus trail cameras. We're getting some big bucks on camera, and we're always networking with people. Hey, check out the picture of this buck that I got. We have some awesome deer here, and I just think that if we were – I don't see an abundance of browse pressure. I don't see, you know, an abundance of deer. I mean, last year and all the years that I've hunted in New Hampshire, I found, other than opening evening, we had some great success. I find that our it was probably one of the hardest years that I've hunted. Um, I didn't see that many deer at all. So I think the challenge that I, that I see is um, too many tags, which I think really in turn the big picture is hunting pressure. Right. Down where I'm at. Right. Let's talk a little bit about hunting Vermont and hunting New Hampshire. I hunt New Hampshire. Actually, I've technically never hunted Vermont. I think it's weird. But I, I'm like a New Hampshire boy. I hunt New Hampshire. I'll venture out to Ohio, Vermont, or Virginia, Maryland. Um, Probably never Vermont. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to get some, some gotta, pointers from Jeremy here. You come to Vermont to uh, you know shoot a good bear or uh, you know if you get drawn for a moose tag. Okay. That's pretty much yeah. Yeah. If you like to track deer, but you only get two or three good days to do that you okay. know you kind of got to live right. there and take the opportunity when it comes you know? are you guys both guides as well what? no jeremy's a, a well not in new hampshire i am not no You're not. and jeremy can explain more about how the laws are in vermont i guess you could technically yeah, say vermont they're pretty much uh the only time i need a uh, a guide permit and insurance is if i'm guiding on national forest Wow, if but if I'm guiding on private land or state land, then I'm all I'm all good to go. I believe if no kidding, I yeah. believe oh, wow. if if he had two clients and he needed help, I I think myself yeah. as a non yeah. I, I could come up and guide for him, but I wouldn't need to be permitted to do just that. as long as you're not on the national forest. Yep, that's crazy. Yeah, that's kind of cool. And the national forest charges like an outrageous amount for me to for for me to guide just six days. It's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So it's I you just, probably can't make that up with your clientele. At that no, point. so I usually just stay off the national forest right. when it comes to guiding. Gotcha. That's fascinating. But there's a lot of paper company land and you know different chunks of property where, right. there's, where there's moose and stuff. But. Okay. So let's talk about deer hunting in Vermont. You, and I know this isn't your favorite place to hunt necessarily. Yep. You're from there, but you probably have the most opportunities to absolutely hunt because that's where yeah. you live um what are some of the unique aspects of hunting vermont and what are some of the, the strategies and what's your favorite style when yeah. you're hunting when it comes to vermont i kind of start out the season like I'll, I'll i'll get cameras out here beginning of july is when i'll start putting okay. trail cameras out i'll, I'll make, we don't have a lot of fields where i live it's mostly all wooded so uh i may take a drive around a couple of evenings you know you know, two or three times a month or whatever, try to spot a buck just before dark in a field. But I mainly let the cameras do do the work for me. Okay. Uh, in July, right up through September, and then once it, once we know who's drawing moose tags and everything, that that gets my cameras even more in the woods in Vermont. Uh, and 
throughout my moose scouting, I'll find a couple good bucks. I'll find a few that are, you know, four and a half year old or older bucks. Uh, And those are the deer that I'll try to keep tabs on. Once I, with all those cameras spread out, you know, once the moose season is over, I'll kind of concentrate those cameras back in there and try to keep tabs on that buck, see if he's still alive and and I'll I'll leave Vermont during the rifle season because I'm usually going to the Midwest yep. where there's you know a lot better hunting and it's you know it's still bow season and uh, I'll go to the Midwest when I come back I'm checking my cameras oh look at that that buck's still still alive if I'm back in Vermont I'm waiting for snow because gotcha. because if I okay. don't have any daylight pictures of that deer and I'll go in there and check it out and stuff and he's living in there all I'm waiting for is snow because if I have snow I can kill that deer yep. he's because they're real random in their in their movements. I mean, I may have him go by that camera once a week, once every two weeks, whatever. But that just lets me know he's still in that area. I can kill him. Yep. I just can't kill him out of a tree stand. Right. And uh, and I've killed multiple bucks like that, and and pretty good ones for Vermont by Vermont standards, anyways. Uh, by just keeping tabs on those deer and not hunting them when it's bad conditions, and then all of a sudden I get three, four, five, six inches of snow. I go in there, I know about what area that deer, I know his core area, and it's at the end of the rut, I can find that buck. Yep. I find his track, I can I, I can get an opportunity at right. that deer. Doesn't mean you're going to kill him, but you're no, going to get, a, I, you're gonna get something get that's pro- probably going to be a shot. Yeah, I know I'm following that deer's track, I know I'm following the caliber of deer that I want to see. Right. Instead of, you know, like all rifle season, it may be warm and there's people out there still hunting and stuff. And, you know, you, you don't have the optimum. You need an edge to kill those big deer in Vermont. They've, yeah. they've, they've experienced so much pressure on dry, crunchy leaves. The odds of you walking up that deer in, on a big mountain range, just walking onto them and getting an opportunity are very slim. Gotcha. But with snow, I can walk right into his bedroom. Okay. You know, and I, I can know I'm getting closer to him. There's telltale signs, you know, when you're tracking a deer, you've tracked enough of them, you know, to uh, to tell when they're starting to slow down, when they're getting near a bedding area. Right. And uh, it's worked for me. Okay. Uh, but would you would you recommend that to the, the, the new guy that's trying to figure out how to hunt the Northeaster, specifically Vermont? Would you say that they should wait for snow as well? I would say that's when, you know, tracking a deer in the snow, you can learn so much about if you don't run a lot of cameras yep uh really the best way to learn a lot about a buck in the northeast where i am is through tracking him in the snow like i've tracked the same deer i've hunted him for a couple years in a row and tracked that deer and not killed him i learned where that deer likes to bed i learned where that deer likes to go during hunting pressure uh if he gets jumped off of this side hill where he likes to run you know you you learn funnels and pinch points and mark that on your gps right. while you're tracking that deer right. and then if you you are hunting and it's bare ground and you've got a starting point yep. you can go in there to scout find it you know see if there's a good buck in there this year but if there's bare ground and you want to hunt and you know you got hunting pressure coming from the other way you know hey last time i was in here i tracked that buck and he was on that side hill he ran down and went right along the top of this beaver pond that's a good you know starting point to try to kill that deer right you know it's an interesting point that you bring up, and it's, what's interesting is that when you're trying to kill a specific deer, and specifically in New England, yeah, if you're if you have access to the property and you kind of know it better than a lot of guys or gals, it's the success of killing that deer may not be that year. It might be a multi-year process. Absolutely, right. All my biggest deer, I've hunted them two and a half, two to three years. Right. My, my biggest deer that I just killed with a muzzleloader two years ago, I, that was the third year I've hunted him. Right. I have deer that I'm hunting right now that I'm still trying. And hunting, to me, hunting is all year round. Yeah, absolutely. Hunting is just, 
just there are certain months where you can carry the gun and the rest you can't. Yep. But hunting is all year round. Absolutely. You're educating yourself on a particular buck, a particular pattern, and during the season, off the season. So I've got bucks that I'm hunting right now that I haven't – I know I'm learning more about their pattern and I'm closing in. But this is a 36-month process. This yeah. isn't just a, hey, let's go out today and kill a deer kind of thing. No, absolutely. It, it's and, – and, and it's not for everybody. You know, a lot, of, a lot of people just want to, what they want out of hunting, they want to go out there, they want to harvest a deer, they want to fill the freezer, and that's it. Right. To me, in my home state, I figure I've got all the time in the world to, to hunt because I live here. Right. You know, when I'm back from hunting a different state, if I can wait for optimum conditions to go hunt that deer. I don't, it's not like I'm on, when I go to Ohio, I don't care if it's raining, windy, really cold, really hot, we're hunting. Because right. we're, we're only there for 10, That's 11 right. days. We got it. Exactly. Mean, Johnny and I sat in a tree, and it was probably 50-mile-per-hour winds God, this, yeah. this fall. It's like Three there is no straight. way in hell we'd be hunting right now yeah. if we had the choice. But right. We've only got one more day to hunt. We're going to do it. Yep. But uh, but that's you know that's what I do in Vermont. I just bide my time until I get the right conditions. Right. And, uh, like, I mean, that one buck that I killed with a muzzleloader, uh, I didn't go out to the midwest that year i'd I'd lost my property to people that were leasing and stuff and uh for one reason or another i didn't go out to the midwest so i'm just like well i'm gonna stay in vermont and i'm gonna i'm gonna hunt throughout the entire rifle season i hunted this particular buck i kept getting his picture i'd see his track everywhere see his sign he was rubbing huge trees that deer was not moving during daylight and i and it was really terrible conditions really warm not not cold just uh I I needed some cold weather and I needed some snow. And this was the third year I'd hunted him. I had that deer pegged. I just, he was not moving during daylight. Right. And uh, I hunted him, I think, 13 days out of the 16-day rifle season. Never saw him. Right. And uh, muzzleloader season came, same kind of weather. Last day of muzzle, the night before the last day of muzzleloader season, we got six inches of snow. I had that deer dead at 8.30 the next morning. Right. I shot him just as he stood up out of his bed. I knew where he was, the, the basically where on that side hill he was bedded. I walked right in there on his track, took my time, and I had that deer dead with the right conditions. Right. And that's another very good point. Yeah. Is that snow is, an, is a northeast hunter's best friend. Because you've got huge woods, low deer density, and, uh, I mean, in some of that national forest, I've got pictures of, awesome bucks like in the 140s up to 150 right they come in front of that camera once in two months right and then i find their sheds in the spring 16 miles from there yep it's like how you gonna kill that deer out of a tree stand during daylight what are your what are your odds there's nothing to funnel that deer down right so it's you know i get tracking snow if i find his track i've got 15 square miles to hunt that deer in right all open land, right? And it's just me and him. You know, it, I got a lot better chance yep. of killing him in those conditions than yep. any other. I think hunting Vermont and New Hampshire are very similar. I think the, the topography of the states are different. I think New Hampshire is more like Maine, and Vermont's more like New York. Sure, in a, in a sure. lot of ways. Yeah. Would you agree with that, Jeremy? There's, you know, there's di- there's three different zones in Vermont. Like the southern zone is kind of like the uh, a little bit, you know, there, we got that big chunk of national forest, Glossenberry Mountain. It's a pretty good wilderness area, and then you get into central Vermont. It's kind of farmland. Yep. And then you get into northern Vermont, and it's kind of like Maine up there because it's a lot of logging activity is going on. Yep. A lot of a lot of clear cuts and. Yep. So you get kind of three different habitats in Vermont. Okay. Gotcha. You know, kind of stuck down in the southern part where it's all like thirty year old clear cuts and. Do you get? Do you hunt the growth. other parts of Vermont too? No, I just hunt the southern. Just part. southern, Johnny. Let's talk about New Hampshire a little bit. Sure. You're walking into New Hampshire deer season. 
when does your season start? I know it doesn't start the day it opens. Right. It starts before that. Where do you start? So traditionally for myself, you know, in all honesty, I really struggle late season. Um, I find that the best time to get on deer and where I'm at, uh, and it may be just due that I deal with a lot of hunting pressure from other people that the first week or so of the season when deer are still in their summer, summer patterns, they have shed their velvet, but they're really not dealing with much hunting pressure for me. That's really the time that I try to focus and spend as much time in the woods as I can. Okay. I used to be the type of hunter where it was, hey, if you're sitting on the sofa, you're not out killing deer. But I've really kind of changed that mindset in the last few years by, you know, um, Mark Drury, for example. He has a, an excellent uh, talk that he does on barometric pressure and weather patterns right. and cold fronts. And, you know, we, Jeremy and I ended up killing, you know, I shot a, a spectacular buck here in New Hampshire this year. And Everything that I learned from his podcast, I applied to that situation. We checked five cameras that day before we hunted them, and we didn't know what the wind was, what direction. We almost didn't hunt. So I think with saying, you know what, I don't care, I'm going to be in the woods anyways because you know I may not shoot them if I'm at home, I think that's kind of not the right mindset you want to have, especially as a bow hunter. Yeah, My seasons usually start with... During late season, my mind starts racing because I'm dealing with the struggles of, you know, sometimes going days and days without seeing deer. Um, So I'm kind of thinking, well, where could I go? Where, if I were a deer, where would I be? Um, The advantage that I have that Jeremy doesn't have is there's more, it's a more populated area. So I do have a lot more bottleneck areas and funnels and whatnot. So I do try to focus my concentration on those areas, especially running trail cameras, um, I get a lot of pictures of bucks all season long, mostly during you know nighttime in the October month. Yep. November, I get some rut activity that's out there. Um, but you know, if I get pictures of a deer at nine o'clock in the morning, you know, pre-rut, unfortunately, with the pressure that I'm dealing with, you know, two days later, I mean, or inevitably anywhere you could be, that deer could be long gone. Right. I am the type of guy that when I start scouting, I'm very low impact. Um, where Jeremy doesn't have a lot of fields, I tend to have a lot of fields, big clover plots. Not plots necessarily, but clover fields, hay fields. So I always try to start, I run as many cameras as I can um, on those fields. That ha- that field right there, those deer are used to human scent. Whether it's the farmer coming out and checking the fields to see when he can hay it, whether there's people out there running their dogs, they're used to human scent. I honestly feel that as soon as you go into those woods, that's their habitat. It's a completely different game. Uh, As soon as you start going in there and boogering up those woods, I really feel that you're starting to educate an animal, especially here in the Northeast when it's challenging. You get a four and a half, five and a half year old buck. He's already on to you because for the last few years, he's been seeing that game. Um, I'll say that um, with that, a lot of my scouting starts end of deer season, meaning the last few weeks where I'm doing a little bit more walking during the gun season to kind of scout new areas. And remember, okay, there's a whole patch of oaks over here. You know, I should find an opportunity to slip in here late summer, check if they got, you know, acorns on them, maybe on a really windy day or a rainy day where I can get in and get out, have less scent out there. And just if there's a ton of deer sign there and I end up hunting it that year and I don't have luck, i somehow dialogue it or I somehow log it for that matter and know okay I've hunted the field the first week didn't have any luck where's the next spot I want to go to based off of the deer sign that I found last year where and, and I would agree what you had said earlier it's a two three year process last year was I've been back in New Hampshire for three years now the first two years I was hunting one particular buck that actually ended up getting shot last year by a very deserving hunter um I I was after that deer for two years and I didn't fill a buck tag in the state of New Hampshire. Right. So it's it's a game 
you're learning. You're always learning. And if you're if you're not in the woods, um, you know, learning something every day, you know, you're not. I don't think you're doing it right. But the one thing that I think a lot of hunters make a mistake that they're doing is, you know. I can't even tell you how many tree stands I own. You know, I do know it's a high dollar investment, but if, you know, I understand people like to hunt out of ladder stands. You know, I talk to some people, yeah, I got a stand set up here and, you know, I go out there and I sit there, but, you know, I don't see anything. I think if you're not mobile, I think if you're not scouting and you're out and you're active, you know, if I get out of work at two o'clock in the afternoon, that's great. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a day to go hunt. That may be a day to go check cameras or that may be a day to slip into an area. The weather's not right. Go in with a stand. This is great deer sign. Hang a stand and go in. The buck that we killed this year, I actually never hung a stand in those woods until opening night. We checked all of those cameras. We we came up with a general idea of, okay, based off of all the information I have off this deer from me videotaping them all summer, from me, you know, getting trail camera photos of them, I really think that this is the area that we want to go. And gosh, what did we do? Two o'clock that afternoon, we slipped in there, hung a stand, yeah. showered, got back, and we killed them at six o'clock at night. Yeah, I think... Uh I think a, a major factor in killing that deer, I think, was hanging and hunting that same night. Yeah. I think a lot of times if you, you know, if you're getting pictures of a deer and then you, you know where you want to hang that stand, <clears throat> if you can't get in there and hang that stand ahead of time and get away with it, like leave no scent. Like, and you I know think, it's going to pour pour rain or right after you leave, don't go in there and hang that stand. That deer is going to come in there. He's going to smell all around there. He's going to, f- and those four and a half plus year old deer, six and a half, even worse, you know, they're, they're going to know something's up. Yep. You hang and hunt, he comes in to figure that stuff out. He's getting, he's getting, he's getting an arrow before he can figure it and out. I, you I know? think, it's, I think, it's interesting. you know, it's interesting for me because I talk to a lot of guys, we run a lot of trail cameras and it's exciting. It's when you're going to check that camera, you get one of two things happen. You're going to be stoked by the time you walk out of those woods because you've got a big buck on that camera, right. or you're going to be let down. And I think people let the excitement get a hold of them sometimes. I usually let my camera soak for a couple weeks. Yep. Um, I If I can, I try to wait till you get some inclement weather coming in where I can get in, spray my boots down before I go in there. I think people think that when you spray your boots down, it's going to kill all the scent. It's just, I think, helps eliminate the scent. Right. Um, but I don't check my cameras all that often. The deer that we ended up uh, killing this year uh, in New Hampshire, um, I don't know if you saw the video of it, the one I'm talking about in New Hampshire, it was on a field. He came in on a field, but that farmer was out there every single day harvesting corn. Right. Um, he was out on the opposite end. So it was an area where we'd use that to our advantage where – we didn't know where he was coming from. We didn't know if he was going to come from where that tree stand was set up. We didn't know if he was going to come out in that out in that field. So I just chose the option, we're going to wait, and we're going to figure it out. We'll make the decision the day we're going to hunt. And it worked out in our favor. Hmm. Gotcha. Sorry, I didn't mean to ramble on. No, we, we enjoy rambling. Sure. We, any, any type of rambling about deer hunting is fair game on the Big Buck Podcast. <laughs> right. That's what we encourage, sure. actually. So you don't have to say that anyway. You don't have to apologize for rambling on about deer hunting stories. That's what we like. Um, that's interesting that you say that. So the, the two to three, I th- and I think that the younger hunters or the newbie hunters – don't have this experience yet and i think this is where like we had discussed i think that's where they make the mistake is that they don't realize that hunting in the northeast unless i mean you'll have your you might kill a young deer you might by chance kill a big deer but generally speaking if you're really hunting the way i think you need to hunt in the northeast it truly is a two three sometimes four year process those deer that are over three and a half years old are a different species yes i mean you you really can't even 
lump them in with the rest of the deer herd. Those right. those bucks that are three and a half, four and a half years old and older act totally different. Right. The Especially only, I, the only time they're vulnerable is during the rut, you know, or or super super early feed pattern, in my opinion. Right. Uh, and and they don't mess up very much at all. Right. You know, like they're only vulnerable a couple days. I, I believe yeah. some of those deer are only on their feet during daylight during the entire hunting season in Vermont, maybe one or two days. Like, and that's right at the end of shooting light or the very beginning of it. Right. You know, they they just don't mess up. Right. Even with that big blocks of timber and everything, they just don't. They just don't do it. The, the young deer, the yearlings, the the, the you know, two two year olds, they'll still make those mistakes. Absolutely, and they pay for. But it. I think those they big pay. bucks are the ones that look and they see they watch that two year old get pounded by Definitely. a gun hunter, and they're like, Definitely. "I've seen that game before. I will wait until it's dark, and right. that's when I know it's safe." Right. They had a close right. call, and that's how they learned. Right. You know. Yeah. But if if you can wait for snow and you can just learn about the deer, you don't even have to go in the woods and hunt it. Just learn. Take your game cameras. It, it could literally be a three-year process, and I keep going back to that, and I'm probably reiterating it too much. But you want to have some fun. Yeah. You want to pay attention to, to food source, you know, rotation too, where where you see right. the deer when you have, you know, years you have acorns, years right. you have apples, years you have beech nuts. All those will influence the deer in my area big time because mm-hmm. there's not a lot of oak at all. And right. unless you get over towards the Connecticut River Valley and uh, it's just real spotty. And sometimes the oak is really spotty. There's not a lot of trees that have acorns. Some years there's tons of beech nuts and there's a lot of beech in the National Forest. So it's it. And some years there's no apples. Some years there's tons of apples and they love to hit the apples late season. It's just you got to keep track of all that stuff like where you where you find if you had a big buck in an apple orchard late season last year and you know he's still alive and there's a ton of apples there this year and you've got really cold weather good snow right you best be checking out that orchard <laughs> that's right because that if that's that right. deer's still alive he's probably going to be right about in that same yeah. spot again this year yeah you gotta you gotta pay attention to their habits um and and and, and don't get discouraged if you don't get a shot that first year don't even get discouraged if you don't get this shot the second year you know it's supposed to be something that people are you enjoy doing i mean right. hunting is an american pastime and i think people sometimes get what you say the discourage the you know people get discouraged you got to realize you're out there and it's something we love to do that's right and i absolutely am one of those people you know i got ugly several times the last couple of years coming home i mean i hunted hard and you know my wife god love her she puts up with as much time as i spend in the woods maybe if i was a little smarter and more selective on the patterns or you know being more observant as jeremy had mentioned to the food patterns maybe i wouldn't have gone through those times so i think if we take a step back and we don't get stressed over something we yeah. love doing right you know it might be more enjoyable this is something that i and i just it just dawns on uh, dawned on me just now that my mental recovery time is lightning fast compared to where it was when i was 25 i used to get real discouraged because things weren't happening the way i wanted to yeah. these days i'm just i don't care no big deal. If I don't see a deer, if I don't, yeah, I'll work hard and I'll have a, a moment, <laughs> you know, man, I worked hard and I didn't get the deer I was looking for, but then it's gone Yeah, and yeah. I'm on it. I'm right back to work. I missed a big buck this year. <laughs> it's on video. You can see it on our trailer on our website. It was actually the deer that Jeremy ended up shooting that afternoon. And I would agree with you a hundred percent. I think five years ago, I would have let that beat me up all season. That's right. I really would have. That's right. And I actually, you know, in this particular situation, I ended up hitting a branch and yeah, I was furious. I was livid. Uh, I didn't want to have a conversation for at least an hour that, you know, there was some serious emotion that went into after what happened. We hunted really hard. And uh, afterwards, 
three hours later, Jeremy and I kind of conversed. It was, hey, you know what? That was my miss. Jeremy, you're up. We we consulted. We think we know where that deer was going. He killed that deer. And I think if you take away being stressed or upset about it yes and you just realize that you need to be happy for your fellow hunters i was so excited to be able to be there for him when he shot that deer just as he was excited for me when i shot my deer this year so it becomes like it's just it's not just a year it's not just a moment of experience it's an experience that's more worldly it's global it's it's something that is part of your life and it's all these memories are just part of the experience. I agree. It's an obsession. It's an obsession. Yeah, absolutely. So you get to go again tomorrow. You yep. get to, you know it doesn't matter what happened the day before. You short term memory. Go and understand what you learned from it. But go back out and do it again. I'll tell you yeah. what though, it definitely makes you appreciate when you do connect with a good one. Yes, it does. So those it? couple of years when you're you're not doing stuff, and you know, I remember last year I said, oh, God, I don't want to go through another year of this stuff right. again. It's been hard, and it just was like, you know what? I'd go through both of those seasons again just to appreciate right. the situation right, right now yep. right yeah sets the stage for future hunts absolutely let's uh speaking of hunting one of the things we love to do and a requirement on the show is to tell one of your most memorable deer hunting experiences so guys i want you to think back for just a little bit about a deer hunt you went on maybe recently maybe a long time ago but it's stuck in your head and i want to go down and slow it down a little bit go play by play for each of you and let's talk about a deer hunt. And, and like we're right there with you, I want to be able to experience it with you. Can you think of a particular hunt? I'll give, yeah, you, a, I mean, I'll give you a second. There's a, there's a particular deer uh, that, I, that I shot with a muzzleloader in the state of Vermont that uh, I, I kind of touched on him a little bit earlier. But, uh, yeah, I'd been hunting him for three years. Okay. And uh, top of this mountain, there's a, there was a little hay field, probably 30, 40 acres, and it was on a dead-end road. You could drive out on that dead-end road and glass the very bottom of that field, and he would be there like three or four nights out of the week. The older he got, the more he seemed to be more visible in the summer. But he was a really big, clean eight. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first year I saw him, he was four and a half years old by the, by the teeth when I ended up killing him. Okay. He was six and a half. Uh, but, yeah, he was always an eight-pointer had kind of short brow tines and just had a real real characteristic rack you could tell it was that same deer every yep. year yep. just a little bit more mass each year and uh man he would he would from where he would summer to where he was during the rut down in the valley there was a big apple orchards and uh really good thick spruce and there was a pretty good doe group down there probably 10 10 to 15 does at one time were living in this whole you know two or three square miles really prime habitat but that buck was not down there in the summer he was he was up on the mountain all by himself in the summer he would just be down there during the rut and he would he would rub the apple trees he would rub trees the size of my thigh you know and i I knew he was in there and just never got the conditions for for the first three years that i hunted him you know all the way up through november really we never really got good conditions it was always warm and just rainy and i never could see the deer on his feet we never got tracking snow and uh the and and from trail cameras and just seeing his track everywhere he had a wicked hoof on him uh i just knew that deer was in that area it was just a matter of time before i connected with him he just didn't like to move during daylight mm. and uh, i'd never seen the deer hard horned until the day i killed him really and uh i talked to a woman that was uh delivering the mail in that area she was delivering the newspaper and she was driving around at like four in the morning whatever and she'd seen the deer cross the road right in those areas multiple times she said yeah he's a big big eight pointer really tall back tines it's like yeah that's the deer you know he's still right in that area you know and i'd hunt him hard it's just he was on his belly every second of daylight you know so uh 
like I said, that that last year that I the year that I killed him, I hunted him hard that rifle season because I was just like, man, it's the third year I've been hunting this deer. How, I mean, if we get a hard winter, who knows if he's going to die or right. No one shot him all rifle season. Got to be muzzleloader season. I'm, I was telling everybody I knew. I'm like, man, I got this deer pegged. If I can just get some track and snow to kill him. Well, I got my wish. The day before the last day of muzzleloader season, they were calling for snow. I woke up in the morning. You know, I couldn't sleep. Woke up in the morning. It was like four o'clock, and it's there's four inches of snow on the ground, and it's coming down hard. Yeah. I'm like, man, I was hoping it came a little earlier than that. So I got all my gear loaded in the truck and hit the road. I'm like, I got to start driving around the roads that I know of around, you know, that, that block up the timber the best that I that I can. It's still a big block of timber, but there's one road that goes around. If I can cut his track crossing it, at least I'll know what side of the road he's on because there were two different sides that he that he liked, you know. And so I'm driving around that block of timber, and it's now one probably an inch an hour. It's about an hour before daylight. And I'm driving by one of the spots that I had gotten pictures of him and seen his track. I knew he liked to cross the road, and there's a deer crossing the road at the end of the headlights. And I pull up there, and I see him walk right across the snowbank, and, you know, this six, eight inches of snow on the ground at that time. And he walks up into the hardwoods, and it's him. Yeah. I mean, he's a 130-some-odd-inch deer. There's not too many of them in Dover, Vermont. Right. Uh, and a big, tall eight. I'm just like, that's him. That's the first time I've ever seen him hardhorned, you know? I'm like, well, you got snow on the ground boy it's a different story today right drove the truck down the road it's snowing hard i'm like at least i know what side of the road he's on yep drove the truck down the road a little ways parked waited for daylight got daylight got on his track and it was so cool to follow that deer around i mean he went and checked out a couple different apple trees that i knew of there were does there you could see where he harassed the does for a little bit yep none of them were in heat he uh he left all those does went by himself here he cuts down off and just to see how a big buck like that moves through the covers you learn a lot by tracking the deer right he never like walked into a big opening or you know you knew it was getting towards daylight and he's still on his feet and i'm just like this is probably the closest to daylight this deer's been on his feet walking right and he's not going out of the really thick spruce and vi- his visibility was no more than 20 yards at yeah. one time you yeah. know he's staying in all the little using all the contours of the land to to stay hidden it's really cool to see you know it's like that's why you don't see these deer out of a stand they use every single yes. advantage they possibly can especially when they're not dogging a doe you know? right so he's going up onto the mountain and i'm like man there's a big bench up there and it's just loaded with rubs i bet you that's where he's going to bed and it's thick thick spruce and blowdowns and sure enough he's he crosses a brook across the brook he heads up on that hill and he's walking through some really really thick spruce and now the deer slowed right down his steps are getting real close together just like he's he's gonna go and he's gonna bed on that bench he's starting to browse right now i'm within 150 yards of that deer yep and when i when i track deer i snow camo head to toe and uh i got the muzzle loader ready you know i'm going going one step every five minutes up that track you know i'm just like i know we're on this bench this is where he's going to be and the wind was blowing pretty good covered any noise i made and uh i got got up just up onto the lip of that bench and i remember i could look for like 20 30 yards it was perfectly flat on that bench and it was all stunted spruce like four or five feet high and i could look out across that flat and i could see his track just wandering out through this open area probably about you know 50 feet square he kind of walked right across that open area and went yeah. right out and towards some blowdowns. I was like, I wonder if he's right in those blowdowns. And, and I didn't dare take a step standing there. I must have stood there for, it, it was probably only three or four minutes, but it felt like 10. You know, I just knew I was right on that buck. And something caught my eye to the right. 
and I looked. I was standing right next to a big hemlock tree, and I just kind of peeked around that hemlock tree to the right, and he's standing right there at 35 yards. Yeah. He just stood up out of his bed, and I just, in one motion, cocked the hammer on the muzzle loader and eased around that hemlock tree. Boom, shot, and there was a steep bank just on the other side of where he was bedded. So, I mean, all he had to do was stand up out of his bed and take one bound, and he was gone. Yep. If anything followed his track, you know. So, boom, I shot. He jumped down over that hill, and I'm sitting there reloading the muzzleloader. I'm like, I just can't believe that just happened. You know, he'd been <laughs> hunting that deer for that many years. Right. And I was just like, I, I, just, I, I just hope that I hit him, because if I missed him, I'm never going to be able to forgive myself. You know? Right. But I was like, I got all day. You know, if I did miss him, I got all day to kill that deer. So I walked down to where his bed was, and there's a like a pinch of hair on either side of his bed. No blood, but a pinch of hair. I'm like, that's a solid body hit. You yep. know, I, I shot him right in the center of the chest. Yep. And I could see where he bounded down off the side hill. I didn't follow his tracks like 30 yards, and I could see him laying there. Mm. And it was just, you know, it was just the emotion that you feel when you, you hunt a buck that hard, and then you end up killing him. And right. It's like one of my favorite ways to, to harvest a deer in the Northeast because that's right. really the best you know, the best opportunity that you have is tracking a deer. Right. That's tremendous. And uh, walked down the hill and just, you know, pulled his pulled his antlers out of a top that was right there and was just cleaning them off. And I'm just like, man, that's... That's rewarding. That's that's him. That's and very he cool. He was almost 200 pounds. And wow. He's... Uh, that'll probably be one of the most important deer I'll ever shoot. Right. You learned a lot that day. Yeah. Gotcha. Just, uh, you know, it's pretty, pretty proud dragging him out of the woods, you know. So, Johnny... Yep. You've had some time to think about your most memorable deer hunt. So we're, we're, we're definitely sticking with deer hunt. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. Gosh. Um, Where are we going? You know, I don't know if it'll be as, as uh, full detailed as Jeremy with history, <laughs> okay. um, only because, you know, he'd hunted that deer for a while. But, you know, I spent um, my last job that I had, I was relocated down to Connecticut and a little bit different than, you know, here in New Hampshire, it is... You know, you got to have permission. You got to have written permission to be on that property. Right. And there was one particular um, spot that I had hunted. It was only 80 acres, but it was a complete funnel. And you would get to, there was a lake in the middle of it, and there was a bottleneck between um, a bunch of different houses and a main logging road. So I'd always run a trail camera there. And it was, I mean, the pictures of deer that I would get there, We I called it the Muley Woods because I had pictures of a deer. Both of his ears were just torn open. Hmm. But his, his rack looked like something you would see out on a mule deer yeah. it just was ridiculous i mean i don't know what he would score for but it's just a really cool impressive deer so i would always kind of revert to go in during the rut going back to this spot because i figured hey this is a prime prime location you know get one early in the morning come through or in the evening or even middle of the day checking for does and there was for whatever reason that this particular year there was a the field that had clover um the farmer, for whatever reason, didn't harvest it late in the season. So a couple of times I'd walk through and I'd look down. I mean, there just was a significant amount of deer droppings out in this field. I'm like, well, I'd really be foolish not to run cameras here. And for a few weeks during the you know in the middle of October into November, it was just was small bucks and does. And I really, you know, the year previous I did shoot a, a relatively you know decent nine pointer in there right off that funnel. Um, it was a deer that I had actually passed on earlier that year, but. It wasn't really anything that kind of got me too excited, and, and I just I kept checking this camera. Probably, you know, again going back to what I was saying before, low impact every few days because I could slip into that field and check it, and it just was doze after doze after doze after doze. And I just kept saying to myself, "Gosh, you know, we're getting the middle of November. I don't have any mature deer that have been out in this field, but I just can't imagine with this many does out here that not that there's not a good one yep. that's going to show up." And I, you know. 
I had struggled that year in particular. It was actually, um, <laughs> it was the day before Thanksgiving. Um, I had been, I shot a couple does earlier that year, and I, I, my wife and I were actually heading back up to New Hampshire for Thanksgiving, and I was really pressed for time. And I just kept thinking to myself, you know, gosh, this is an area, it's really easy to get in, really easy to get out. I just can't imagine going there, especially now with all of those does. The night, the evening before I had seen a few that were there, I can't imagine there not being a buck showing up there tonight. I don't know why we get a cold front coming in. I just really feel like something's going to show up. And it was kind of like clockwork as I, every other night that I sat there, what I ended up doing was it was really bizarre. If I, I had one stand on the two fields that were there that I could really kind of only cover, you know, one, if I was rifle hunting, there was houses kind of on one end of that field. So I really, I didn't want to be aiming that direction. So there was a row of trees between both fields. And I actually just grabbed a five gallon bucket, set it up in the middle of those fields and sat there just so I could watch. And like clockwork, one doe, next doe, next doe. And actually, I don't know for whatever reason, but the eight does turned into 14 does that night. All right. And um, I remember sitting over there looking in the direction where those deer were and they're staring in my direction, but they're not looking at me. And they're just, I'm kind of like, what? I look in the other field and I don't, I see all of a sudden I see three more deer show up that never came out of that corner. I'm just like, this is bizarre. Like at this point I was rifle hunting and, uh, I look back at the eight does and they're all boogered up and I look back and I can see out of the bittersweet comes this big body deer. I no, I really tight, tight racked in the, in the form in which it, it kind of curled into his face. And, I just remember grabbing my binoculars, looking at him, looking real quick, saying, yeah, that's a shooter. He was about 100 yards away. I grabbed my rifle and shot. And um, it, I don't remember what happened. Right, <laughs> it happened right. so fast. It's kind of one of those things. Not it's uncommon. instinctive. Yeah, like- but I remember walking up to him. And for me, I had been I really didn't get into hunting mature deer until maybe I'd say the last five years or so. Yep. And it took a lot of um, patience and, you know, passing on deer and for me to be able to hold out that long that was really the, one of the first good bucks he ended up he was he only scored about 135 inches he was actually had 13 points um and the reason that kind of kept me going in there was i had been shed hunting earlier that year and i found a set of sheds that were 165 inches in there gotcha. so it, that for me was kind of it was one of those things where again going back to my history growing up i'm kind of a self-taught hunter yep. um but for me it was like okay this is this is kind of where I'm going to start. And I, I would say that was the most memorable hunt for me. And I remember going back and checking my trail camera. And um, I actually got a picture of me standing in that hedgerow and that deer fully broadside um, as I shot him. No and, way. and I took that picture of the taxidermist and I had him <laughs> mounted in a shoulder mount, kind of standing in that upright pose as I st- shot him. That's awesome. So that, that for me, you know, I, I think um, there's a little bit of. I wouldn't say jealousy, but, you know, envious of, you know, I think tracking deer in the snow is an art, and I know Jeremy's been really fortunate to do so. Um, I don't know if it has as much a history or story behind uh, what Jeremy was saying. I know I excuse myself, but I would say for myself, that's probably the most memorable hunt that I've had. Gotcha. That's a good one. That's really good. The the, the snapshot photo of the the shot. That's crazy. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, In Pursuit 365. You told me that it, the, the name and the whole project kind of got going uh, after working with Tom Blaze. Yeah, that's that's when I kind of developed the developed the name. That was uh, you know for a while there, I was trying to think you know if I was to if I was to name my filming company, if you will, what you know what it should be. I'm like, well, you know, thinking about hunting every single day of the year. <laughs> I'm, if I'm not thinking about it, I'm in the woods scouting, running cameras, doing something involved with hunting. 
right. every single day of my life. Right. I mean, there isn't a day that goes by I don't think about hunting. Right. So I was, you know, if, in Pursuit 365, it just kind of, that's that's kind of gotcha. how it came out, you know, and it kind of describes sense. exactly what, right. what we do. It's know? a great name, and I, 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 I can relate to it, which yeah. is cool because I think a lot of hunters can relate to that, especially the ones that are as diehard as we are. Yeah. What What's the goal? Yeah, well, you know, we just like, uh, we want to bring something different, you know, in, in our videos. We want to bring, we just want to capture the emotion of the hunt. You know, like one of my, another guy that I really like watching on TV is Fred Eichler. Like yeah. that guy brings so much enthusiasm yep. and just brings the, the, the spirit of the hunt, the, the real excitement, you know, the, the highs, the lows. We just want to, we just want to bring that to people. Gotcha. We want, we want to share that, gotcha. you know, cause we, we feel so passionate about it. We just want to try to find a way to convey it on film, yep. you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's always nice to see it on film. There's, yeah. The, the put adding a visual especially if you know what you're doing with a camera and you guys have been doing it for a while and i can definitely tell that your skill set in with the camera is as good as your hunting skill set so it's pleasurable to watch you know like i've i've seen some pretty bad hunting shows let's be honest yep absolutely <laughs> i think that goes into why we're you know our mission also is is we want to kind of separate ourselves from the rest right. um you know we support everybody who's out there who's filming you know we know it's not an easy task but you know when you're watching the outdoor channel uh, or you're watching Sportsman's Channel, having some guys show up saying, hey, we're down here at, you know, Triple B Outfitters, and, you know, a guy dusts a deer at 200 yards with an AR, that's not what we're looking to do. I mean, right. for us in the Northeast, we really want to kind of bring the reality hunting to people. And, you know, one thing that Jeremy and I have also discussed is is trying to teach people what we're doing, you know, how we're doing it, what our setup is like. You know, we're hunting this bird today with a bow, we came in here last night, couldn't figure out where he was roosted. We winged, you know, we decided to wing it this morning, but right. we watched what he did here. Tomorrow, we're going to do this instead. So just kind of, you the know. The whole story. The story the behind whole stuff. The story, and start think, to finish. Yeah, I think know. that really gets, it's it's yeah. a missed topic in a lot of TV shows. I agree. I, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's, um, let's go into our 10 rapid fire questions. You guys ready for those? I think so. I hope so. <laughs> you you giving them just to Jeremy first or both of us? Or I'm going to give you I'll, – I'll do Jeremy okay. first, then we'll go to Johnny, and then we'll flip-flop. So then Johnny can answer the first sure. on the second question, and we'll just go through. I was hoping I was going to have some time so, to so, some, think about one it. One of you guys <laughs> is going to have some time to think about it, but I'm not going to let you sure. one guy just have all the, all the pleasure. All right. All right. What's your number – we'll start with Jeremy. What's your number one hunting tip of all time? Number one hunting tip, uh, it would probably be – Scout eighty percent, hunt twenty. I love that one. Yeah, All right. Johnny. Yeah. What's What's yours? Oh, I thought you were asking me another question. Oh, sorry. Um, same, I would same say question. be as low impact as you can. Okay. Yeah. Got it. You're You're hunting an animal whose sole purpose in life is to survive. Don't let them know you're in there. Right. Yep. Awesome. Awesome tips. All right. Next question, Johnny. We'll start with you. What's the one thing? that you can't hunt without. We have these things that drives us crazy if we leave it in the truck. Like, God dang it, I wish I had that one thing. What's that one thing for I'm you? absolutely probably one of the most ridiculous. I'm very superstitious. I have a pair of hunting socks that I don't know why, but I have a they're, they're white Nike socks. I actually, I was on a drop camp hunt elk hunting, and... I don't know why I was doing it. It said R for right, L for left, and I kept putting them on the way that the socks told you. To. And the guy that yeah. was with me said, that's your problem. You're putting them on the right feet. Switch them up. And an hour later, I killed a bull elk. <laughs> so I'm very superstitious. Yeah. I've got two pairs of those socks. My wife 
laughs at me because if in the if I see her grab those, I'm furious. And they have to go on my feet completely backwards. The right has to go on the left, and the, the left, left has to go on, on the right. 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 So that's the one thing I can say that I cannot hunt without. And I know it sounds disgusting because I hunt a lot. That people are like, I do a lot of laundry, so I just got it, it. It sounds disgusting to many people listening to the show. I am positive <laughs> of that. However, if you've listened to this show before, you'll know. And you may not have heard this particular episode because I don't disclose it a lot. But my biggest thing that I need to have are hunting socks. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> now, it's not the most common answer we get. Yeah. But I have baseball socks that okay. I must wear. And With the stripes on the side. Actually, not even the stripes, just black. Okay. But perfect for temperature and walking in the woods. And I mean, they don't sweat. They just, they're just perfect condition. They're thin. Yeah. But if I don't have those, I don't feel like I got my game on. I <laughs> would never make fun of you. <laughs> Finally, somebody understands where I'm at. All right, Jeremy, what's yours? Well, mine, uh, I kind of had to retire my, uh, my good luck charm. I had this one certain Primo's hat that I wore, I, I mean... All through my 20s, from the first year I went to Colorado, I bought the hat out there. For some reason, I'd, I'd lost my camo hat or something, yep. and I had this particular Primo's hat that I wore. And every bull elk that I've shot, I've been wearing that hat. And every gotcha. uh, and for the my first big buck that I ever shot, I was wearing that hat. That and it's it's kind of like taking a retirement because it was starting to break at the seams and everything. And yeah. I'm just like I'm not throwing the thing away. Right. So I've got you know that one good luck piece of. Uh, piece We're, of equipment other than that kind of equipment changes you know i don't right, really have too much other right. superstitious where's stuff. the hat now that's in don't my, tell it because i'm gonna grab it and i'll take <laughs> it <laughs> it's in my game room hanging on my right. hanging on a set of elk antlers actually nice. it's uh you know that'll that'll never go away all right jeremy what's your biggest pet peeve biggest pet peeve hmm, as far as in life i guess just having uh or one thing that drives me crazy a pet peeve that i have is is other hunters messing you up on public land or even unposted properties we have in Vermont, Massachusetts, right. New Hampshire, whatever. Other hunters messing you up when they know you're there. Like turkey season, you know, if you mm-hmm. park your truck there, someone comes in, parks their truck right on top of you. Right. You're hunting the same bird. Yep. You know, you're going to do nothing. No one wins. You're going to you're going to screw each other up. Yes. The bird's going to live and and both of you are going to be miserable. Batting, okay. batting a thousand. So that, it's, it's that bird lives with, yeah. every time. Yeah, absolutely. Every and time. he just gets smarter. And you know, the same applies for deer. You know, people coming in near your tree stand. If I if I go in the woods and I see a tree stand, and I know, you know, especially if it's fresh, right. I'm not walking back in there again that fall yep. at all. Right. And there's people that I've gotten walked by my camera three or four or five six times, and it's like, what what are you doing? Right. You know, you know, you're messing me up. You don't, you know. I just think that the ethics definitely, especially, we see it especially during turkey season, but the ethics definitely need some improvement right. in the Northeast. I'm you with know. you. All right. That's, that's my biggest Johnny, what's yours? I'll slightly piggyback off that. Um, I, I was hoping you weren't going to say ethics, so it didn't sound like I was uh, repeating you. I, I think absolutely, for me, especially during deer hunting, um, if it's not mine when I walk in the woods, it shouldn't be mine when I walk out. Right. And it's very frustrating as we all know how expensive hunting equipment can be that when I'm running my trail cameras that yes, I've spent some money to invest in trail cameras. It's something that I like to do just because I like it doesn't mean that you have to like it. That's right. But that doesn't mean that when I get you on camera, you reserve the right to go horse around with my camera and try to pull the SD card out of it and mess around with it. Right. We're all on public ground. We're all all allowed to be here. 
I that to me is one thing when you know if I have a scrape that I, a mock scrape that I've set up and someone's in there and and they're looking at the camera I can't tell you how many times I've got pictures of people horsing around with a lock on my camera and I know what their intentions are their intentions are to rip that card out so they can see what's on that card take it home oh geez there's a good buck in here and they can, it it's we're all in it together I just think the disrespect and the unethics would probably hands down. And it, it, this topic could go. I could go on for yeah. We can go on this, for a long you know? time, so, and that's not everybody, right? But no, there absolutely. There's definitely some very a handful good out there, there that yep. really, really push the envelope. And, I, and I'm glad ethics. you said that because I don't want right. to. I don't want right. people to think that I feel that everybody's like that. But I just think right. that. But there's a, there's, there's yeah. enough of them. Yep. Um, all right, Johnny. How old are you today? I am 31 years old today. 30, was, yeah. Well, 31. Now. Yeah. yeah now. Right now. Knowing what you know today about life. What would you tell the 16-year-old Johnny? Appreciate every opportunity you get of the things that you enjoy in life. Absolutely, with without a doubt. Okay. I, I used to get pretty wound up, pretty stressed out. You know, I've got some amazing support at home. I've got an amazing family that, you know, they've always, but and they'd always say, just, just relax a little bit. Yeah. I really wish I took that advice. And if I had to give the advice to somebody, you know, 16 years old, it just... Yep. Enjoy every moment you have because you have no idea what's going to happen right. tomorrow. Right. Gotcha. Jeremy? If I could talk to myself when I was 16 years old, it would probably be move west. <laughs> <laughs> move I would, west. Uh, yeah. I, for as much as I love the mountains, and uh, I, w- I would pick a state that I could easily hunt deer, and it was just a short drive to go hunt elk, antelope, what, you know, whatever I want. I'd, I'd probably... <laughs> Move out of the Northeast and uh, and get into an area that's that's more more Productive. in the line of what I what, what my passion is. Right. You know, yep. it's just there's so much more to do out west. Yep. And, and uh, you know, the mountains are just the mountains are beautiful. I mean, you go up into Montana or northern Idaho. There's there's ten different big game species. Right. And I mean, there's excellent fishing. There's right. I mean, and, and the mountains are beautiful. I mean, it's just it's you know not that it's not beautiful around here. It's just. I I really really like it out west, right. and I just wish I had spent more time out there. Yep, you know. Yep, I got. That's what I would tell myself at sixteen. Yeah, get your get yourself out there. <laughs> okay, Jeremy, you're at a hunting convention. You meet a stranger in the lobby of the hotel. They ask you what you do for a living. What do you tell them? I'm a carpenter. Carpenter. That's what pays the bills. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Yeah, Johnny. Uh, I am a medical device sales rep. Right. I give them the the rundown of that. Gotcha. All right, Johnny, this one's easy. What did you have for breakfast this morning? I had a peach, a banana, and a protein shake. You're a healthy guy. I am. I try to be. <laughs> Jeremy, what you right, have for I'm right along the same lines. Uh, you know, we're both training to go out west this fall, so uh, I'm in the protein shake and big bowl of raisin bran this morning and all, right. you know, all that stuff, eating, eating like, a, nice. like a horse lately. So I had a... Um, I had a cup of bulletproof coffee. There you yeah. go. Oh, yeah. you got to start out go. with the coffee to start yep. with. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Johnny, you get your own billboard on the side of a highway. It's a blank canvas. You can put anything in the world that you want to on it. What does it say? Dude, I have no idea. <laughs> Man. I, that's never even a question I've heard anybody be asked before. Right. Um, it's a good one. It is. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. I, All right, then I'm gonna, I'll make it easy for yeah. you. What what hashtag would you put up there? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll come back. Yeah, yeah, Jeremy, yeah, what nice. do you got? 
Hunt more, work less. I love that one. Uh, I got one. I've got one. <laughs> All right. Nobody died wishing they worked harder. Yeah. Yes. That would, that would be we talked about that. Yeah. We yeah. Did. yeah. 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 Thank, thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, I've never been asked that question. Yeah. All right. Let's go. Uh, let's see. We ended with Johnny on that one, sort of. Um, Jeremy, let's go to you. If I say the word successful, who's the first person that pops into your head and why? Successful, uh, especially along the lines of uh, the hunting industry and stuff like that. I mean, I would have to go back to like one of the, the first inspirations into filming and, uh, and bow hunting and stuff would be like Will Primos. Yep. That, that's, that's a person in the industry that I, I really look up to. And, uh, you know, I mean, to see where that guy started, like, what was he, 12 years old when he made his first duck call and stuff like that to where he is now. It's yeah, just, he's... And he just seems like a you know great down to earth guy and yep. hard you know hardcore bow hunter and hunter in general and uh, I just remember being a little kid like you know watching all the, that was the, that was like a huge inspiration for me growing right. up is gotcha. watching his hunting videos when I was growing up yep. and like it's uh, pretty awesome good one Johnny if you say successful I, again I, I don't think there's one person there's three but it, they all have the same trait and it's to pick something and go for it and that's you know my mother and father and my wife they're firm believers that you know. They've started with core values, with nothing. They had a goal in mind, and they went for it. And and I would say, you know, I know you asked for one person, but I'd say those are the three. That's perfect. Yeah. All right. What's a day in the life of Johnny Brown look like? Oh man, more recently, it's it's a little wild. I don't have a nine to five job. I uh I work. I spend a majority of my time in surgery. Uh, I do cell medical device implants. So if I get a phone call late in the evening that there's a case, it's booked the next day, you know, my whole day could be rerouted. So I do spend a majority of my time um, in hospitals, in the operating room suites, you know, talking with doctors, consulting on, you know, technical questions that they have. Um, I also, you know, it's a sales position. So I'm, I'm out visiting doctors and having conversations with them. And the one thing um, that I absolutely try to do uh, to be part of my habit, no matter what my schedule is, I try to go to the gym every day and I try to shoot my bow. Nice. Um, those are two things that I feel that are extremely important because although I know everybody has a life and I'm a firm believer that nobody died wishing they worked harder, my passion in life is hunting and it drives me. And I would, you know, Jeremy and I both, we shoot very long distance all summer long because we want to make sure that that passion that drives us in life, you get a deer that's, you know, a hard angled shot or something that, you know, at 25, 30 yards, those long distance shots that we've been practicing all summer are going to make that real right. close shot, right. um, kind of a chip shot. For right. You. So. Gotcha. All right, Jeremy, what do you got? Uh, well, I'm, I'm a carpenter. Been doing the, uh, been more along lines of finish trim carpentry uh, yep. past few years. So uh, my day usually starts fairly early. Uh, depends on what stage the house is at, you know, if I'm trying to finish the house up so I can uh, move on to the next job or yep. if I'm trying to figure out what the architect drew up. Yep. You know, just, yeah, it works on paper, but we got to try to build this uh you know, this walk in to fit in this closet and da, 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 try to try to figure out logistics and and create stuff. And uh, I really like it. I really like doing the finished carpentry. I really like building stuff. Uh, I really like working with my hands. So that's my days usually eight to twelve hours doing that. And then uh, kind of right along the same lines as Johnny. When I get done working, I like to like to shoot my bow a little bit. Yep. Try to go to the gym. Uh, just try to unwind because it's going to be another one of those days tomorrow, you know? And, right. Uh, I, I work as much as I can in the uh, spring, summer, so I can take off as much of the fall as I can. And right. then it's right back. As soon as hunting season's over, it's back to know, work. right back at it again all yeah. winter long, saving up the money and right. making sure all the bills are paid. And uh, 
so I can so I can spend as much time in the woods as I can in the fall. Gotcha. You know? All right. This one's a similar question, but even better question. What's a deer hunting day in the life of Jeremy Ballantyne look like? Well, that would depend upon time of the year, the state that I'm in, and uh, you know, it's, if it's in Vermont, uh, is there snow on the ground? No, there's no snow on the ground. Okay, I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, I'm planning my trips to go out west. Uh, I, I do love hunting the Midwest. Uh, you know, in the mornings we like to hunt transition from food to bed, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, hunting those bigger bigger age class deer you know we're usually near security cover we like to rattle and uh like one morning in ohio this year we rattled in six bucks throughout the morning gotcha. it was just it was happening that morning yep. other mornings you can hit the horns and and nothing happens you know it's right. just uh but uh if i'm in the midwest i'm in a tree stand every every day that i'm there okay uh, and if i'm back home i'm either scouting trying to find a buck that maybe is vulnerable that i can get on out of a stand but other than that i'm uh I'm working and waiting for the right conditions to try to kill a deer in the Northeast. Gotcha. Very cool. Johnny. Day in the life of uh, deer, deer hunting day in the life of Johnny uh, Brown. Um, I really try to focus. I'd say early season, trying to figure out those, all, that trying to take everything that I've learned all summer long from those, uh, bed to feed patterns and applying it the first, yep. you know, week, two weeks of the season, gotcha. I would say. Yep. Um, those are, in my opinion, a real as a bow hunter. Those are your your really critical times to be able to capitalize on on deer movement. Yep. And, and I know you know there's obviously situations that change, but for me, those first couple weeks um, is really focusing my efforts on being as aggressive as I can. Gotcha. Th- did I answer that correctly? Yep. Okay. Absolutely, guys. It's uh, we've, we've watched the sun go down. I feel like we're on the porch at deer camp. Telling stories and having fun, and this has been tremendous. Where can we find you online? Where can listeners find more about you guys? Yeah, so we have uh, a couple different things. We've got a Facebook page, just like a lot of TV shows uh, or, or online shows. It's In Pursuit 365. So you could Google that okay. as well, and you'll be able to find our website, www.inpursuit365.com. Awesome. Um, you may see us. We've been fortunate enough to work with some uh, very good companies that we've kind of partnered with and, and we're able to be sponsored by. So occasionally, sure. you know, if you get to that website of ours, you'll see on the sponsors page, if you follow those guys, you'll see that they'll be posting stuff and tag us in that as well so cool on facebook twitter instagram instagram we're not on twitter yet um that's actually i I, i'm really not (laughs) i'm not that tech savvy of a person we've got a great guy that we've been working with up in uh, upstate new york and he's all into it and he's doing a wicked job so that's the next step is getting onto twitter but yeah instagram is you know the little at sign i guess is the thing yeah the yeah yeah. in pursuit 365.com or in pursuit 365 and then facebook is the same name gotcha all right well if we haven't done so already i imagine we have because i'm the tech guy and i'm i'm fairly savvy you guys are doing a wicked job (laughs) 200 plus thousand likes yeah this is fun this, wasn't this fun? This yeah. is great. Yeah. So. I could, we could talk for a lot longer, and I, oh, I know you guys got families to get back to. So. No, Jeremy and I really appreciate the time and you having us out here, and uh, it was great to put a awesome. face to the name. And It was fun to do an outdoor podcast. Absolutely. First time we've done this. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Beautiful awesome, weather. Very nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you again. All right. You guys are yeah, welcome thanks, anytime. Man. You know, I had a, a great time recording this because we got to sit outside and record with the mobile podcast unit like we've taken the ATA but it was it was just a different tone we got to sit outside and it felt like we were at deer camp uh, sitting on the front porch just telling stories and I think it kind of came through in the audio 
So, but just great guys, just getting it done, and I, I love their passion. And I, well, a few things that they said. Number one was, if you're not learning, you're not hunting hard enough. So that that to me tells me these guys are into it, and, and I understood what that meant because if you're if you're just kind of I'm going to go out, sit down, and come home, and that's all you do all year, then you haven't put in the effort that you need to understand and learn about the whitetail and their patterns, and not just the patterns. I mean, I'm talking about this, their specific patterns in your specific area and your specific place where you're hunting. And that's what those guys are bringing to the table. Yeah, take somebody with uh, with the drive and the want to to be a successful whitetail hunter and be able to read the terrain and actually figure out exactly how those deer are traveling. Yeah. And the other thing that I like is that they understand, especially in the Northeast, that Killing a, a mature buck it may not be, a, you know, it's not just a, a one-year process. It is often a three, two, four-year process because you know the buck's there, but they're so good at hiding that you have to wait for the snow. You have to right, wait for the right opportunity, and usually they're not going to die. We, get, we have a lot of deer that just die of old age because they're so good at hiding. So don't get discouraged if you don't shoot that deer the first year you go out. It might be a several-year process, and that's how some of the, the most successful hunters in New Hampshire actually get it done is they know a buck inside and out by the time they actually see it, but it's been a 36- or 48-month process. Yeah, I, I, I can relate to that. You know, it, It's amazing, really, once you, you finally – I'm not going to give my Chubby Times tip away, Jay. So, All right. Well, let's, let's turn to the Chubby Times tip of the week then, Dusty. What do you have? The Chubby Tines Tip of the Week is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentuckuk Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, morse'sportinggoods.com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morse's Sporting Goods. You know, the the mental preparation going into the season, Jay, will, will make you stay there longer and hunt harder. Uh, it's something that uh, I work on. I know you do too. That when the season hits, that uh, you know, the first three, three, four weeks, that first month, you're just gun ho and you're just there every day. And next thing you know, your mind's starting to play games. That maybe you've got a visual on a buck somewhere that you don't normally see, him and and you, you you decide that in your mind it's playing games with you, and, and you decide that you're going to move your setup. And you know that sometimes that pans out, but. You know, as years go by here, that once I've locked in on a buck and I've got him on trail camera and I know exactly what he's doing, you know, he, he's going to change just a slightly little bit. But there's that factor that, you know, a mature buck's usually going to do the same things uh, pretty consistently, unless you just completely blow him out of there and, and mess it all up. By saying that, that's, you know, getting winded or uh, he comes walking down a trail and spots you in a tree and he just stands there and stomps and, and, Maybe blows a little bit. Mature bucks normally not going to blow. He's going to turn and, and just ease out of the area, knowing there's danger there. But uh, you know, kind of hang with the the known spot where you know this buck's you know frequently coming to. The rut's going to mess everything up. It's going to uh, throw them into a different pattern. And, but they usually come back to their original pattern after the rut hits. So just you know, keep that in mind as you're going through the season. That maybe you get on this buck and you know he's coming down through the same trails and. And maybe he's a, a a moonlight traveler that's only nocturnal. But eventually that buck's going to make that mistake and come right by that daylight trail camera picture, right in that area where you got him in daylight trail cam. If he's comfortable enough to walk through there once, he'll walk through there again, and it'll happen. But you just got to 
got to get that mindset right and, and go into the, the season that, uh, you know, you're going to try to kill this mature buck, you know his pattern, and stick with it. He'll eventually fall back into that pattern once he gets through the rut if, uh, if you hang in there. Yeah, that's a great one. And as Jeremy has said in, during his interview, that these big mature bucks, especially in New Hampshire, might only be on their feet in daylight hours during shooting hours two times or two days a year. And that's it. <laughs> that's insane. Yeah, I believe that 110%. You know, uh, a lot of times that, that little food source is something that, you know, I, I focus on, Jay, just, just because that they're just like you and I. You know, there's times that you get hungry at a different hour. Right. And they got to eat. They got to drink. They got to eat. And, and, you know, they can they can only bed up so long before they just, they got to get up. So just, you know, keep that in mind. If you're hunting a food source, stick with it. They got to eat. That is so true. We got to eat. <laughs> and just... And you got to stay on it, and that's it. That's all there is to it. Awesome tip, man. Very, very good Chubby Tines Tip of the Week. Thanks to Morse's Sporting Goods for sponsoring the Chubby Tines Tip of the Week, and thank you to Jeremy and Johnny, Jeremy Ballantyne, Johnny Brown from In Pursuit 365 for joining us this week on the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast powered by USA Trail Cams. So, Dusty, where can we find you when you're not hanging out here on the microphone with me? Shoot me an email, dusty at bigbuckregistry.com. Look me up on Instagram at Chasing Antler, or you can find me on Facebook, Chubby Tines Outdoors. Jay, where can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic? If you'd like to uh, get a hold of me personally, you can give us a call at 724-613-2825 or shoot me an email, jay at bigbuckregistry.com. I would invite you to review our show on iTunes if you haven't done so already, if you're an iPhone or iTunes user, and also subscribe to the show please do a search for the big buck registry deer hunting podcast on itunes and then you'll find the review section so leave us a review a five star if you love the show uh, you can find us on stitcher you can find us on twitter twitter.com forward slash big buck registry facebook facebook.com forward slash big buck registry and speaking of facebook if you are a, a, a diehard deer hunting fan please Give us a like on Facebook, but if you have shot a big deer and you'd like to have it featured in front of about 230,000 plus deer hunting fans and be famous for a day, all you have to do is go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash mybuck and all the instructions are right there. And we will review your photo and put it on on the Facebook page and get you some exposure. Uh, You can find us on Instagram at instagram.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. And if you would like to become a patron of the show and earn yourself a hat and a t-shirt, maybe even a coffee mug. Go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash donate and you can find out how to become a patron of the show. Dusty, this has been fantastic, man. Yeah, another great show. And man, thanks to everybody for tuning in with us every week, Jay. We, we appreciate that more than ever now. You cannot say thank you enough to that. Well, I'm Jay Scott. And I'm Dusty Phillips. And this is the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. Can't wait. Can't wait.